everybody. It is AJ, and I'm here today uh, for really a special podcast. And I've got Pastor Jim and Pastor Bill with me. So, how you guys doing today? It's raining. Yeah, like, cats and dogs. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. A, a little damp on the way in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say I stepped in a poodle on the way in, but that's too corny. Man, that's setting. That was Elsie's first joke that she could actually tell and like really understand and laugh at and whatnot. So that's a good one. Um, well, today uh, we are actually just podcasting something that the three of us and, and often Ben Campbell is with us as well, but something that we do every week. Um, y'all have heard it probably mentioned either in sermons or, or on one of our podcasts that we meet and we are going through the sermon text a couple of weeks in advance. And so I think we're about three weeks ahead right now. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Job 23. And uh, what we do every week is one or two of us will, will prepare a uh, worksheet uh, based upon the Charles Simeon Trust uh, workshops that uh, just looks at, at the text that we're going to preach on. What was the context of it? What's the the author saying what's going on here and how do we begin to think about uh, preaching that how do we begin to think about uh, kind of bridging that from the original context to our context and preaching and so uh, today uh, you all just get to kind of listen in uh, as we dialogue over the scriptures and ask questions of each other and uh, these are I think all of us have said it one time or another this is one of our favorite things uh, that we get to do on a weekly basis and so Jim suggested this a couple weeks ago, and so let me just ask you, Jim. You know, what? Why are we doing this on podcast? Kind of what's what, what's the benefit for people listening? Why why should they keep listening to this, so to speak? I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago. We were sitting at open doors outside. It was yeah. a nice morning, and we were just talking with the Bible open about, gosh, how is this passage structured? And the regular questions that we'll go through in a second. You know, where do we see the gospel in this text? Um, and how would we preach it? What's the main point? How would we? And we're weeks ahead of the actual delivery of a message. So therefore, we can just, it's a very free time. There's yeah. no performance of any kind. And I think we, at least it it really came to me that we, we could model this, not in some form of a canned presentation, but we long to see Christ community folks sitting across the table from one another, opening the Bible, read a chapter, and just talk. Yeah. But when you talk, what, what could be some of the things you ask for or you look for um, and you dialogue about? And so we've gotten into a good rhythm. Um, as many of you know, when I do the Charles Simeon Trust workshops, the small group component is a critical part of that. So you don't just go somewhere and have a, a speaker up front speaking, but the pastors have been assigned a passage in advance before they come, two passages, and they break up into small groups and they have to do a five-minute presentation um, of basically the general work that would go into their sermon. It's not the actual preaching it's not right, the actual right. you know words that they're going to say or even the final outline but it's all that prep work and so i'm more thankful than any time in ministry uh where we now have that a part of our rhythm and we're weeks ahead and yeah. so what i'm about to share is yeah. just my five minute presentation which then lets bill and aj dialogue and i'll let aj or bill describe how that the goal of that but um i'm not preaching this for three sundays yeah. So now I have three weeks to percolate on this. And right. if I'm not the presenter, it may be Bill or AJ, even if I'm the one preaching that text, I get the benefit of another brother's work three weeks in advance to help me think and pray. And so it always keeps us in the text. It always keeps us in the context. Yeah. yeah. And so we thought, why don't we just do this so people see how fluid and, and how much of a blessing it's been just to talk about the Bible. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'll just add, and, and Bill, you can add anything you want, that um, I think it's just been really helpful for me and just a blessing week by week for me um, of, of our conversation and things that one of us will see or ask that the other one won't or just, just the ways that the Lord is using kind of this, the body mentality, uh, you know, kind of a teamwork mentality among us uh, to push this work further. And I know, on the, especially on the weeks that I've preached, having that done three weeks ahead and having y'all's input on that has been just incredibly helpful and a blessing in that. So, Bill, anything you would add before we jump in? Um, yeah, I would just echo everything that you guys have said. It's a tremendous blessing to me to do this. Um, over the years of ministry, this is one of the, the highlights now in my life, getting to do this with you guys. And I think it's just a very practical application of what we say we believe about the Bible. If it really is our authority, if it really is sufficient, um, if it really does address every part of life, the more time we get saturated in it, the better off yeah. we yeah. are. So this is a, a great help to doing that. So I'll let AJ lead the pragmatics and explain the works, but let me just, one more thing came to mind. When I was in Texas and I shared that we do this every Monday, I did have a few folks, even in that large plenary session, raise their hand and say, time out. Like you give this work away to one of your other pastors on your staff on a text you're going to preach from, like that doesn't seem to square with what we're talking about because we want us we want to do the work, put the yeah. work in to grow. Yeah. And I said, oh no, this is not me giving away that part of the work. It's benefiting from someone else's work. I still need to wrestle this out. And I need to discern whether the structure work that you you two guys might do is the same way I would see the structure. Right. But um, I get somebody else's work to have a conversation with. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is it's very important that all three of us are in the same church context. And so when you think about application, the application doesn't come in a vacuum. It comes to the local context that God has placed you. And we're all three in the same local context. Yeah. yeah. And we're different men with different right. marriages and different family stories and different connections to people in this body. But we're in the same context. The same. And that is yeah. a huge transformative thing for me. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's However, great. and I'll let you go now. Our goal is not to spend a ton of time in these presentations talking about application. Right. It's about the meaning of the text. Right. But we're going to help each other tease out some ways it might touch Christ's community. Yeah. Yeah. And really, if, if we do the work well to get the structure and meaning of the text and you begin to touch on application, that application is going to be much more natural um, when you do that work in the text Absolutely. to begin with. Yeah. So, um, well, let me just give a little bit of this is what this is going to look like. And then um, I'll pray and, and we'll just jump in here, here in just a second. But. Um, we're going to talk through, or Jim will share through six questions. He'll touch on the context of the passage. Then he'll talk about how does he see it structured and organized by the author. And then what's the author's aim? And then the fourth question will be how does he see this connecting to the gospel of Christ? What, you know, what part of the gospel is in view? And then from there, uh, the final two questions uh, begin to get more in the kind of the preaching realm. Um, it, it'll ask, uh, what conclusion will you argue to your audience? What applications will you make for your audience? And then the final one is, you know, at this initial st uh, stage, <laughs> what is your sermon title and your preaching outline? Um, and sometimes that sticks. Sometimes, sometimes it has. It stays. Yeah. Sometimes it'll change, but at least just, you know, this is the, an idea of where we're going with that. Um, and the final thing I'll mention just to give some context for what we're doing is, so this is Job 23, and uh, this is in the whole uh, section of Job 22 to 26, I believe, is the yeah. section. Um, and so th these uh, chunks of chapters in Job, what we're doing is we're taking a whole cycle of speeches where Job's friends say something and then Job responds, and his friends say something and he responds. 
Well, 22 to 26 is the third cycle of that. And so Jim had that cycle to, to go read and look at, and then he had to pick from there, like what, what does he want to actually preach from? Because he's not going to preach from all five You're welcome, chapters. Christ community. We will not <laughs> preach from five <laughs> chapters and yeah. read it all. And, and so, Bill's got seven chapters, I think, one of the times. Is that right? Yeah, I think actually ten. This ten. Week. There you yeah, go. It was four yeah. through 14. Oh, yeah. you got ten chapters this Sunday. But again, <laughs> Bill will preach on one text and then touch on the, the bigger picture. Right. So that might be part of why we're doing this too. I, was, I benefited so much. I think we both did yeah. from your prep work. Yeah. Going, wow, this would be good for Christ community to see how we're trying to study a big swath of Scripture. Yeah. Pick our sermon text and then preach the section through the text. Yeah. And certainly see the gospel in the middle. Yeah. Well, um, so what we'll do, I'll jump in. Um, I'm going to read the text and then I'll pray. And then Jim will will walk through his worksheet for us. And then Bill, if you would just respond um, after Jim presents, we'll just dialogue about it. Sounds good. All right. So this is Job 23, 1 to 17. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. Father, we ask uh, that you would uh, just bless uh, this conversation and and our thoughts uh, in your word now. We thank you. Uh, for Job 23 and for this book that you have given to us. And I just pray this would be a blessing for us three as we talk and begin to think about this this preaching of this, but would also be a blessing to those listening. And God, I just thank you for Jim and the work that he's put into this. Would you lead him now in Christ's name? Amen. Amen. So to be consistent, the goal is five minutes. And I'll go through these six questions in five minutes. And to be, to allow past practice as all of you would probably imagine, AJ usually times us. Just, he just does it because that's his role. Anyway, stop talking. I'm losing time. I'll, I'll, I'll pause till you start. Okay, ready? Okay, go. All right. So um, I have enjoyed the five chapters, um, and I, it was not hard to pick out these 17 verses as the ones to preach from. They're gorgeous. They're hard, but they're beautiful. Um, so literary context, how does context inform the meaning of this passage? Uh, As you said, AJ, this is the third cycle of Job's interactions with his friends. And in this whole five-chapter section, Zophar accuses Job of being guilty of abundant evil and of countless iniquities. And Zophar says, Job, you have to agree with God and you need to get rid of the sin and injustice in your life. Job's going to respond to that. And these are the words we're looking at. 
after that, Bildad, one of his other friends, is going to kind of quip that, um, come on, Job, there's no man at all who can be in the right before God. And Bildad's kind of snarky, and he says, Job, you need to see your place is like a maggot or a worm before God. And so Job's, the section we're going to look at is right in the middle of those two friends' words. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I found to be important for the literary context is in Job's words here in 17 verse, uh, I mean, chapter 23, verse 1. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 2, verse 3, excuse me. Um, he, he's, he's mentioning that he wants to go before the seat of God, which goes back to chapters 1 and 2 where the book starts with, yeah. you know, God on his throne. So I found that to be interesting. Um, and let me say one more thing about biblical context. Um, we've talked about this as a group, but I think you see another parallel here to other servants of God, other patriarchs like Noah or Abraham. Um, those patriarchs had to obey and follow God, and they had to counter the wisdom of their counselors around them. Counselors who often didn't endorse the character or the providence of God. So, you know, Abraham, how foolish are you to leave and just go to a land you don't know about? That's just stupid. Noah, why in the world would you build an ark? Have you seen, do you see any water around here? So we've seen other patriarchs have to respond to the foolish, contradictory words of their peers. And I think that's something that we're seeing here in Job as well. How is the passage organized? Let me say this in two ways. How is the whole section, the five chapters, 22 through 26, organized? Well, Zophar accuses very specifically, but he makes assumptions about Job. That's in chapter 22. I think Job responds soberly, and we'll see part of that in chapter 23. After that, Bildad universalizes everything super simplistically and sarcastically. He just has a short section. And then Job responds again in 26, and it's just basically he knows the glory of his creator. And he gets even bigger you know, um, than his two friends' view is. So that's kind of the bigger section. But the specific text I'll preach from, how do I see the structure? Well, um, I've got it kind of in two parts with an added sentence at the end because this poetry is beautiful. So what he says at the beginning in verses 1 through 5, he says, I will find God and I'll lay my case before him. And then he kind of reflects on that and he says, God's going to receive me and he will acquit me. But then we have this kind of uh, terminus to that section where Job says, I can't, I can't find him. So you have this confidence of Job. I'm going to find God. And he'll receive me, but I can't find him. So that's, I think, Job 23, 1 to 9 would be the first section. And then, starting in verse 10, it flips. And so I would call that the second section. Um, Job says, but wait, he will find me. And he's going to try me. And he's going to refine me like gold. And so he flips it from, I'm the one searching for God, and turns it from, God knows my ways, and he's going to find me. And then, I think in verse 13 to 14, Job says, I will trust him. I can trust him. Um, And yet, then there's almost a surprise. I trust him, yet I am terrified of him. I, I, I have real terror of the Almighty. It's him that I dread. So there's no way in which Job is dismissing the character of Almighty God. And then at the end, I find it to be a fascinating kind of conclusion to the chapter where he basically says, yet I still will speak with him. I'm terrified of him. He's going to find me, but I I know I can speak with him. Um, I'm not silenced because of the darkness. 
his friends want him to shut his mouth. And he says, I'm not silenced. God's bigger than whatever it is that's keeping me in the dark. So drawing on uh, the work, question three, what's the author's aim for his audience? In a single sentence, I'll try to read this. Um, the author aims to expose the contrast between the oversimplistic secular wisdom of Eliphaz and Bildad and ultimate, ultimately negate any capacity of engaging God. Um, while Job displays a bold confidence in his view that God seeks him and is accessible even as God is righteous, transcendent, and terrifying. All of these things point to the gospel. Um, I just realized an inconsistency. It's Eliphaz, not Zophar, in chapter 22. My brain just... So there's only two friends he's talking to. Question four, what parts of the passage connect to the gospel of Jesus? Um, In the gospel, we do not find God by our own righteousness, our performance, or according to our own demands. God omnisciently knows the ways we take, and he seeks to find us, which I think Job has in this. I can't find God, but he's going to find me. I think that's a a part of the gospel story for sure. In the gospel, we're received by a transcendent God who's worthy of fear, who's made himself approachable only through Jesus. So you have this this dichotomy here that I'm terrified of God, but I'll approach him. Well, only through Christ. So those two things are held in tandem in the gospel also. And then in the gospel, God has paid attention to our need. And we will thus stand before his throne as judge. And through Jesus, we are made upright. So Job says, God knows what I need. And I can stand before him and be acquitted because I'm upright. Well, God knows what we need. And he sent his son, Jesus, to be the righteousness by which we could stand before him. So that's a couple different ways I see the gospel connected. Well, conclusion, what I argue um, for Christ's community and preaching it. Well, at this point in my work, I think it would be a question. Will you trust God with a paradoxical faith that simultaneously trusts in his accessibility and mercy, yet with an honest, humble, terrifying fear? And so he's accessible in his mercy, right? He pays attention to me. I can argue with him. He knows me. He knows the way I'll take. Job says all those things in this section. But then Job also says, I am terrified in his presence. I'm in dread of him, and the Almighty has terrified me. In the gospel of Jesus, these realities are held in tandem for us and they're preserved for us. This counters the wisdom of the world, which demands that God is either angry and against you, or he's for you. So the world says it's either or, and in this text, Job has a both and. What would be my sermon title and my preaching outline? Um, I have no idea at this point, but here's what I wrote down uh, yesterday and today. Title would be this, Job, we do not understand you. And then the outline might be uh, the simplistic beliefs of secular man would be point one. The paradoxical faith of a suffering man would be point two. The paradoxical gospel of a righteous man would be part three. So that's my outline for now. Hey, really? I may may have added three minutes. You added three minutes. Oh my gosh. Well, that's because you all added three chapters to my prep work. <laughs> that's right. It's hard with these sections of Job to do it in five. You didn't I mean, interrupt honestly, me. Did. You could have interrupted me to model how this is really supposed to go. Uh, yeah. no. Thirty second warning. Stop talking. Like this. this is really how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> we we do this, but I think that's. I mean, the five minutes is a goal. That's you held fine. up your phone, and I was like, "Hey, cool. Did you get a text?" <laughs> that was the timer, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think you had like 30 seconds at that point. Oh, anyway. Anyways, we're, we're here. You made it. Bill, would you close us in prayer? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
great work, Jim. I especially appreciate how you focused in on your preaching text out of that section of chapters. It is a hard thing to do. <laughs> and uh, So thank you for that. Um, I guess the question I would have is, have you, at this point, uh, thought of any more applications to your con for your conclusion to, to flesh it out because I, I think that you've really captured it here with that that paradox that that tension of God's mercy and God's holiness you know I, Job says he knows the way he knows me and the way I take but I'm in dread he terrifies me can yeah. Can you think of some like everyday applications? Yeah, no, I, I don't know if I can off the cuff, Bill, but I will say this. I think we each tend one, we lean one way or the other more yeah. more often than not. Yeah. And and so that may be an application in, in and of itself is um, there are people, and I think I have this in me. I think it's reflected in sometimes how I parent and stuff. Um, the Almighty has terrified me. So that can turn to legalism and performance and, and, and just always having to justify ourselves. Yeah. And that's that's kind of one end of the, the pendulum. The other end of the pendulum is, I can talk to God. He knows me. I, he's good with me. And there are believers for whom that licentious, licentiousness is the net result of just leaning in that direction too heavily. Yeah. Uh, God's super nice. Yeah, He really likes me. He, he made wants me, me to be happy. He wants me to be happy. <laughs> and in fact, he's glorified when I'm happiest. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that could be a real application is maybe which way do you tend? And Job, he he heavily speaks to both directions here. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know if I have any examples, but maybe even asking which direction do you tend? Yeah. And I, and I don't, I know I didn't read them all, but there are some really strong statements God pays attention to me. I can argue with him. He knows me. He knows the ways I'll take. I'm good with God. Yeah. And then the other is, I wouldn't dare stand before God. Yeah. He's terrifying to me. So, Job has some really strong words that I think Christ community folks will, will resonate with. Yes. The challenge is, do you resonate with all of his words piled on top of each other? And I don't think we can without the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. 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 In so many ways, Job's wrestling is, uh, that's profoundly insightful for us. We, we tend to think that wrestling is a sign of weak faith, but it's not. Right. It, it really is more evidence of strong faith. It's because of what we believe about God that it leaves us wrestling when circumstances don't line up yeah that uh, just seems to come out again and again in, in our his friends don't seem to be wrestling very much they're more uh, no confident in their accusations no. and Job is well can I let me let me add this as an application then Bill to still answer your question a little bit we were talking earlier about a different situation but there's the theoretical and there's the pragmatic uh -huh. yeah and we really yeah. can dangerously speak with hyperbole or confidence when it's in the realm of theoretical yep because we don't have to worry about another person's pain or feelings. We just are like, hey, this is, it's black and it's white, you know. Yeah. Um, no one can stand before God. Bill Dad says, you're a maggot to God. 
mean, that's just Bildad using hyperbole to say, Job, who are you to think you could stand before the Almighty? You're like a little worm. Yeah. Um, that's a theoretical statement. First of all, it's inaccurate, but but more than that, people do that all the time. And the other is just go be happy and just you know make sure you, yeah. you know, God likes you. Um, and that that can be stated with theoretical absoluteness and what's powerful about Job's wrestling is he is in the middle of all of his loss and all of his pain who knows how much time has passed or if he still has the same piece of pottery in his hand scratching his yeah. his wounds yeah you know um, so that's a part of this application too I think is that it's in the suffering and the wrestling that we have to wrestle with both sides yeah. without suffering we can be theoretically de- declarative about God being either super nice and always accessible or God being terrifying and, and, and don't approach him. Yeah. 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 That's good. Uh, Jim, I was going to, I think, similar to, to Bill, just thank you for, um, just as we were reading this text, I was excited <laughs> for us to talk about it and for you to preach it. Like, it just, I think it's a, you did a, a good job just picking, not that there's a bad section of joke, but um I think this is profound and it's different than some of the other texts that we've talked about the weeks before, I guess, as part of that. So um, thanks for that. And then the other thing that I really appreciated was your final part in the connection to the gospel. I've been the gospel. God has paid attention to our need and we will thus stand before his throne as judge. And through Jesus, we are made upright and thus will be acquitted. Um, And that just, because one of the things that stuck out to me in reading it was just seeing how Job talks about being upright and holding fast the steps and not departing from his ways and his commandments and all that stuff. So I think how you can are going to connect that to the gospel mm-hmm. was helpful. Um, the, the thing I wanted to touch on, um, because I noticed that when we were reading it and it showed up in your presentation too, uh, just the terrified, I'm in dread, God makes my heart faint, I'm terrified, like just four times in a row in verse 15 and 16. And it's really strong there. And I guess one is how do you see or how, why is Job terrified in his circumstance and then um, and you touched on this some but just as you consider preaching mm. this like what what does it look like for us as believers to rightly terrify like how, how do, you know how does that apply to us and how, how would you begin to think about that I think verse 17 is helpful to that end I mean Job is not silenced because of the darkness of his sin that his friends say this is why you should shut your mouth you're a dark man I mean and even what Eliphaz says earlier on which we didn't spend time on he is just specific in his accusations you've not helped the widow you've oppressed people you basically I mean I'll be careful what to say I haven't unpacked it in my studies yet but it's very systemic yeah is what's being said. Job, yeah. the fact that you exist and you have a lot of land and you had a lot of servants means you de facto have yeah. accumulated stuff for yourself and you've rejected others, period. End of story. Wow. Yeah. So that's how Eliphaz speaks to him. And yeah. Bildad, of course, goes universal. And I think Job at the end says, it's God's character that I should rightly be terrified of. Not, not, not as, it's God's being God. Yeah. Like who God is. Yeah. It's, like God is God. it's not what did I do, so therefore I should be terrified of God because yeah. of what I did that caused this. Yeah. That's what yeah. Job wants to argue with his friends and say, that's the wrong song. I have terror because he is the Almighty and I'm yeah. but a man. Yeah. But I'm not a worm or a maggot in his sight as you think I am, Bildad. I will go and talk to him. Yeah. And I love the way at the very beginning when he says, um, I'll lay my case before him. I'll fill my mouth with arguments. 
Verse 6, would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. That's amazing. Yeah. So Job says, I'm terrified of who he is because of who he is. Yeah. And the power he has. But he's going to pay attention to me. Yeah. And I don't think, personally, so far in my studies, I don't think he's saying God's going to pay attention to me because I'm going to make him pay attention to me. <laughs> I'm going to be such a good attorney for my own case that the judge will listen to my argument because it's going to be smooth, swift, and strong. Yeah. I don't think he's speaking that way. I think he's saying, because God knows me. Yeah. So I trust him. So, wow, it's a powerful section. That's, but yeah, I don't think he's terrified because of his own sin well, that, yeah. in this case. And that's I think that's helpful for me because um, it seems like when I think of what does it mean to be terrified of God, or even just conversations right, with others, like it seems like that's part of where we go is because I'm a sinner and God's righteous. But Job has no claim of sin here. He's claiming to be righteous, yet he still claims that to be terrified. And so I mean, just going with what you, you went to in the gospel connection, I mean, it makes me think of there's ways that Jesus brings us, or not ways, Jesus totally brings us into the presence of God as righteous. But there's still like a right sense of terror because God is God and we are, even when we're righteous and blameless, we're still... So I wonder, Man, as you talk, I, I just thought of the gospel connection, or the New Testament connection of even the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. Yeah. To, to use the word obey is a moral word. Yeah. That those created in the image of God have the capacity to obey or not obey. Uh-huh. But it's used of creation of the sea. Why? Because in some regards, you wonder if the wind and the waves, they're terrified of the Almighty. We will do what he yeah. says. He said, blow that direction. We'll blow that direction. And so I'm wondering if that's a little bit of this, the the mindfulness of Job here. I'm terrified of him because he's the Almighty, just like the wind and the waves are terrified of him because he's the Almighty. Right. But it's it's not a guilt terror in this context. Just like the wind and waves wouldn't have guilt terror. In that story, then the disciples are afraid of Jesus. Yes, exactly. Because of his power. And like... Yeah. Who, who oh, yes, this? yes. That's, so this is Mark, Mark chapter 4 is what yeah, comes to think, mind. And if you're cool. listening, that might show up in a sermon, but I don't yeah. know. It might not. But yeah. That's a good connection, I yeah. think. Yeah. The other thing I'll just comment, and, and you all talked about this some, but I, I do really appreciate your, your thoughts going in the realm of the paradoxical faith and wrestling and just holding two things together which don't always seem like they ought to go together um, I think that'll be I think that'll be really helpful so cool and keep keep with that I would say yeah yeah I can't remember if it was in Kidner's commentary or Ashes um, which by the way I'm really enjoying that thank you for passing that on Christopher Ash yeah oh my gosh it's I had one of our congregation members come and talk to me this Sunday saying, now, where did, who's the yeah. commentator you were referencing? So for those of you who want to study Job, I'm finding Ash to be really helpful. Yeah, and he, just as a side note, uh, he Christopher Ash has a long commentary in the Preaching the Word series that we're using, but he also just came out with Crossway like a month or two ago, a book called Trusting God in the Darkness, a, a guide to understanding the book of Job. It's like 150 pages through the book of Job. And if, if you're looking for something to read alongside this, yeah, go that grab would, that. That would be great. Trusting God in the darkness, yes. Christopher. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, we totally with that. Oh, go no, ahead. No, yeah. that's fine. And that's you were fine. saying, Bill, yeah. th- this podcast <laughs> sponsored by Crossway. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think that Ash was the one who observed that uh, Job's friends are are moralists. They have a, a high view of God, but they also seem to convey that they they have God so clearly defined that they they can't see anything other than hey, a righteous life brings blessing, a sinful life brings suffering. That's the only explanation. Yeah. And so they go from uh, Job, maybe you sinned. Uh, you know, they're a little bit more tentative in the first cycle, and then the second cycle, it's more, oh, you have sinned. There must be something going on. And the third cycle, they, it's like they're starting to list. Here's a catalog of your sin. Uh, so getting... there's this progression, even in them, of, you know, for all of their. Yeah. Their talk sounds like they have a high view of God. They actually have a low view of God because they think they have God figured out. Oh my! Mm. And Job, this whole that whole tension of, I want to talk to him, I want to have an audience with him, and yet I'm terrified. That's a far more accurate uh. view of who God is than wow. friends. Even though some of their observations, if you just looked at it as a, a proposition, you know, there there's some merit yeah. to it. So that there's that tension throughout the book too. Of you can have some, a correct understanding of some things about God, but then you can make too much of your own understanding, and it gets you in all kinds of bad, dangerous. Well, places. and I think I don't want to steal any thunder. You'll do in this upcoming couple. You're going to preach twice in a row. We're sharing the preaching load this summer in a wonderful way, folks. If you're listening, I'm thankful for that. So Bill's preaching the next two weeks. Before we preach this text, yeah. but so each of us are going to cover basically all the the sections, the, the mm-hmm. cycles, and I, it does stand out to me that those who are prone to just need to give an analytical assessment of someone else's suffering are often the ones that think they have God figured out, yeah. or maybe they're humble before God, but they think they have their friend figured out, mm-hmm. and that's what we have in Job's friends. So probably I may in some of my introductions in the weeks to come just say. We need to step way back from this in our culture and ask why why did they feel the need to intersect Job in the first place? Why do 99.9% of the shares and the comments on Facebook happen in the first place? What is it about us that need to critique? And I'm not talking about the big cultural truth issues, meta-narratives. I'm talking about little angled struggles in the lives of our friends. Yes. we should help them grow and mature in Christ, but you really see these guys just trying to get Job to say, "I messed up." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems to be their primary goal. Yeah, um, so. yeah, yeah. Well, um, I know time's upon us, but maybe we could have, as one of our prayers at the end, AJ. Would you summarize briefly how we're hoping that some of these workshops would come to the Tri Cities? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So since. I mean, you've mentioned it for years of, in, in thought form of, hey, you know, what if we did a workshop here? But then when you came back from Dallas or Texas in February, uh, it, it took on a lot more steam. And so um, over the past months, we, we've had two lunches uh, where we invited about 20 pastors from about 10 different churches, um, kind of in the greater Tri-Cities area, to come join us and hear our hopes and hear a little bit about what is the Charles Simeon Trust and what do these workshops look like and what would be the benefit and there was just a lot of excitement and enthusiasm and, and unity uh, among these other pastors of, 
yeah, let's let's grow together and also bless other pastors and churches in our area in preaching the word uh, because that's like well, what else can we do? We, we are we are called to preach the word, um, and so this November uh, on November 11th, we're actually going to have a a what what the Simeon Trust calls a preview workshop. So it's a one day kind of what I've been calling the sampler, um, the appetizer version uh, of a workshop. And we're going to have that here and, and hopefully have 40, 50, 60 uh, pastors attend that. And then uh, we're, we're talking about and, and moving towards plans of having a full three-day kind of normal workshop next November, you know, a year, uh, next next fall uh, regarding that. So I, I just ask you all to pray for that as for those who are listening. Uh, pray that God would bless uh, the preaching and pastors and churches in our area uh, through that. And we're really excited about it. Um, we're about six months out right now, but we're, we're really looking forward to that. I got a text from one of our deacons that's on the mission team. And, of course, they're yeah. talking about our church doing mercy and missions in, in more profound ways, more faithful ways as we grow. And that's so important. And we have we have much that we're already learning and much we can do. But I was very blessed when uh, one of our mission team deacons said, hey, we think those preaching workshops that you do are a missionary activity of Christ Community Church. And... So that's the other thing I would ask our church to be prepared for. If you're a member of Christ Community Church, if we start hosting preachers coming to these workshops from all across, not just the Tri-Cities, but maybe a couple hour radius over, start doing it every year, it is actually a prayer and a hope that that will be a mission outreach of this church is that we would be used by God to help God's servants who are already in pulpits hold his word and wrestle it out and preach the gospel faithfully. Um, and that's basically what this exercise is about. Yeah. Are growing yeah. in that, and we want to help others grow in that. So pray for that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Phil, can I ask you to sure. close us in prayer? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, I pray that you would continue to help us to, um, to recognize the authority and the sufficiency of your word, not just by what we say, uh, but also in how we live and in how our, our thoughts are formulated, um, how we look at our desires and our emotions, how we look at our circumstances, how we try to understand what it means to be able to call upon you as our Father. And uh, we, we thank you for your servant Job and for the way in which he displayed a uh, very stubborn uh, trust in you, uh, hope that at times was dim and faltering, but uh, but he, he held on to believing uh, that you were his God and that you would hold on to him. And uh, I thank you, Father, for giving us this record of his wrestling. And I pray that you would continue to use it in all of our lives to help us have the same posture before you, uh, especially when things in our life uh, are going south, when there's um, difficulties, when there's suffering, when there's hard things. Uh, help us, Father, to remember that you are faithful and uh, help us to learn from Job and especially uh, draw our hearts more and more towards uh, great thankfulness for the Lord Jesus uh, who has made a way uh, for us to truly come into your presence, into your very uh, throne room, and to find you uh, to be gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate. Uh, we thank you, Father, for who you are 
and that you would love us and take care of us. Uh, please bless the work of our hands for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Hey.